You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Sheila Subra Munyan, who is the vice president at Future Forum, a research consortium backed by Slack that is helping leaders reimagine work. Previously, she was a marketing leader at Slack and Google. She holds a BA from Stanford and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Sheila, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. No, I feel like when you say Harvard, you need to put some sort of cool accent or kind of yeah, roll that's behind That's how it. you say it correctly. Yeah, you have to put yeah, that accent yeah. in there. Like Stanford, Stanford. It seems <laughs> to be like, you know, I like some words have accents. It's like the schools need some sort of like cool accent, like very kind of like deep and like thoughtful thought to it. It's great. Yeah, well, you pronounce both of those correctly, beautifully. Okay. So. <laughs> great. So every superhero has a great origin story. I want to hear about yours, kind of your journey to where you are now, you know, educationally and kind of different places where you've worked, you know, very fitting to the place that brought you to uh, the work you're doing right now with the consortium. Sure. So when I reflect back on my life, so much of the work that I've done has been rooted in curiosity about belonging. When I was an undergrad at Stanford, uh, much of the work I did was to better understand how minority communities could be best addressed, best taken care of by governmental institutions. So I, as an example, was an intern at the House of Representatives, where I wanted to better understand how the U.S. system could better support Asian American community. And then I traveled to London and I spent some time at the House of Commons studying the same thing in the UK. So it's been, that was one of many examples of like, how do I think about being the other and also better understand how the other's needs can be addressed by different institutions. And so when I graduated from Stanford, I had every intention of becoming a human rights lawyer. And um, two weeks after I graduated, I traveled to Eastern India and spent the summer in a place called Jharkhand, where there was not any running water or electricity. And it was a very formative experience for me because when I went into that experience, I was very curious about the policy side of running a nonprofit. And when I left that experience, I was so much more interested in the operational side because you can have all the heart in the world, you can have all the best policy ideas in the world, but if you don't know how to necessarily run an organization, it's not gonna get you anywhere. So I spent about a year working at nonprofits and that belief was reinforced. And so I decided to try out the, the business world and get my operations chops really refined. And so I joined Google when it was a freshly public company in 2004. Wow. And I joined their product marketing organization, which was very small at the time. And I thought that I would probably be in the private sector for two, three years max. And what I have found along the way, which we'll talk about throughout the conversation today, is that there's an opportunity to be a really good operator, to learn a lot about leading people, driving outcomes, you know, all the business speak. But there is also an opportunity, both in terms of management, as well as the work that you're doing. That's amazing. So 04, would that have been the products of Google search ads only, really, back then? There were other products that were emerging. One was called Frugler, 
which was uh, Google Shopping. <laughs> and the first products that I worked on were Google Toolbar yep. and Google Desktop Search, which you had to download. And yes. then in 2005, I worked on Google Print, which was Book Search, hey. as well as Google Video, which was the wow. their attempt at video, which failed. And I can tell, talk a little bit yep. more about why it failed uh, before they acquired YouTube in, I believe, 2006. Do you remember Blogger? Yes. yes. And I remember when we acquired the company and when the team joined Google. So it was really interesting to see how quickly the organization scaled from search to ancillary products over the course of the five years that I was there. Yeah. So I need to ask, have you seen Michael B. Jordan's Mercy? I have. Movie? Just Mercy. Yes, I have. And, Absolutely okay. loved it. I've read the book. Wow. Okay. And at Slack, we are very close with Brian Stevenson. He spoke at our Frontiers event a few weeks ago. But yes, I absolutely loved it. And I'm teary-eyed just thinking about it. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, that, that's amazing. But then, okay, you finished there. What, what, what happened next? What did you do? You had this knowledge, you had this experience. So, so what then? What do you do? So I spent five years at Google, worked on a variety of products. Yeah. Also was one of the first marketers on the B2B side and helped Google expand its footprint outside of the United States. So co-founded an organization called the Global Market Development Team. It's still around today. And what we were trying to do was show the relevance of online advertising, as well as Google in new markets like Brazil, spent a lot of time there, South Africa, as well as India. And that really sparked my curiosity and passion for technology and emerging markets. And we talked about belonging a few minutes ago, but with belonging also comes access. And Google had taken a step in terms of access to information, but in many markets, they weren't necessarily prioritized at the time because connectivity was not there in in many of the markets that I was personally interested in. So in 2009, after five years at Google, I left to join Harvard Business School with the focus on connectivity in emerging markets. And so I spent the summer between my first and second year living in Johannesburg, South Africa, working on a variety of projects. Um, Most importantly, it was one year after they had laid the cable for broadband internet down in the region. So I worked for the region's first broadband internet company for a few months. And so that was a really interesting experience. One, just learning the technical aspects of how internet works. But two, being involved with governments as well as institutions to figure out how connectivity could drive productivity. So working with the government of Rwanda, the government of Kenya, to understand how internet could could further education in schools, as well as bring more businesses into the region. So that was one of the most meaningful experiences I had in my career. And that then sparked my journey after graduation to work for a startup focused on driving connectivity in emerging markets. And so that five-year period, I negotiated with telco operators, worked with brands like Unilever, Procter & Gamble, as well as Twitter to understand how they could increase their footprint in markets like the Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, as well as India. And I learned a lot about myself traveling through as a woman in these new markets, trying to negotiate these deals. And standing up for myself, speaking up, and ensuring that deals got done. Wow, that is incredible. And then from there, was that the next step? Yes, that was another five years. I I stayed at every company for five years (laughs) or more. That's kind of a nice building block for for students that are listening. 
this is a beautiful, almost call it the building blocks to a really awesome life and experience. Yeah. And before I go into Slack, I th- you just mentioned something I think is really important for, for students who are hearing this. I come from, my parents are immigrants from India. They, they immigrated here in 1973, the United States in 1973. And so much of what I was raised with was you need to have a path. You need to have a plan. And I remember graduating from college with every intent of going to law school. And my dad was like, so what is your plan? What is the path that you're going to be on? And now I reflect nearly 20 years later, and I've never had a predetermined path, but I've always focused on the interesting opportunities within an organization. And so an interesting piece of advice is rather than focusing on your title or your role, focus on the interesting problems that you want to pursue and so much more will follow from that. And and that then led me to Slack. We've talked about belonging. We've talked about access. I was a new mom in 2016. And I started thinking a lot more about work-life balance and belonging for parents. And I made a list of the products that I loved using and Slack was at the top of that list. And in my view, Slack made work more accessible for people in the sense that you didn't necessarily have to be in the office or at your desk all of the time you could collaborate on your terms. And that was very intriguing for me. And so I I joined the company in 2016. Three months later, launched the first enterprise product to the market. And then within the first year, launched Slack in a number of new countries as well. And what was so wonderful about that experience was better understanding the user, better understanding how user preferences varied across markets and crafting what our plan was in terms of our go-to-market strategy, as well as our messaging and positioning to meet that need. So part of that intellectual curiosity was understanding the cultural nuances and ensuring that we were meeting them. And so cool background with Slack Stewart, the creator, I guess, founder of it, coming from Canada. Yes. You know, created Flickr, first of all, sold it, created. So that's the Canadian connection there. But then if you were to go to another country, maybe can you give an example of how maybe Slack would be used differently in a country than maybe say in Canada or the United States? Yes. So when we launched in Japan, one thing that we needed to balance was professionalism and having fun. Because in Japanese culture, you still need to, in every culture, but notably in Japanese culture, there's an air of professionalism that's very important. There's an air of formality. And so even when thinking through how we describe what Slack is, or what our ads in the subway would be. It was a nice balance between that professionalism with the the fun, the playfulness that Slack brings. So that's one piece here. Another piece is in Germany, security matters. And so we had to make sure that we emphasized our security offerings and our features when talking about Slack so that we could gain the trust of people who wanted to use the product itself. Wow. That is really, really cool. And then working at Slack, and I love the way you said it, maybe for students too or anyone saying, hey, maybe don't think about what you want to do when you grow up or what your next career is, but what's a problem you can solve. So while you're at Slack, how did this consortium come to be? What was the problem, You know, the Future Forum problem that you're looking to solve? So I had an aha moment before Future Forum was created. It was in 2019. And I read a book by Ibram Kendi called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in that book, he talks a lot about how oftentimes people of color are asked to assimilate. Rather than create a culture of inclusion, it's you need to do more of this to fit in. And I realized at that point when I read that book, like how much of my career had been built on a lot of the feedback around 
this is the way you need to dress. This is the way you need to wear your hair. This is the way that you need to talk. Those are very small details, but even just like, this is how you need to present yourself in the workplace. And so much of that was learned for me. I never was exposed to that as growing up as a kid. And so much of that was unnatural to me. And that was a light bulb moment for me. And then the pandemic hit. And I have two young kids. At the time of the pandemic, they were two and four. They just turned two and four. And I was looking around and seeing how many of my fellow parents were struggling or women were leaving the workforce. And I was fortunate to be in a situation where Slack said, take care of your family first. Work will come. There was a lot of openness and understanding in the culture that I was in but it was still a hard transition to make. And then we started hearing terms like the she session, millions of women leaving the workforce. We were hearing stories of people, you know, dialed into their kid's school in one year and their work meeting in another, not getting promoted. It exposed the cracks in the system, essentially. And what the pandemic offered work was also a more flexible way of working. So for many, it was, I can't parent and work at the same time. I need flexibility, both in where I work as well as when I work. And so what we saw was that so many organizations were doing the lift and shift. They were lifting office-based practices and shifting them into people's makeshift offices in their living rooms. And there was just such an opportunity for us to start talking a lot more about how can we just change how work is done? We've seen the cracks in the system. Let's figure out how to rebuild from the ground up and make work more equitable and inclusive for people. You often hear about organizations and nothing wrong with this, but who say things are going well, we're growing, let's write a check and and let's get a photo of us giving the check to someone. Or, you know, they say, hey, let's give to an organization that's in another country and a cause that maybe their aunt is really excited about. So they're like, you know what, that's our charity of choice. I feel like the way that Slack already has changed kind of how people work, it just seems so fitting that this is kind of something that Slack would get behind and be a part of. Yeah, the last close to two years has really forced leaders to move from writing checks or making statements to thinking about the day-to-day practices and policies that are part of their culture. And a big thing that we encourage people to ask is why? You don't believe that people are getting work done working from home. Why? Like, where is that lack of trust coming from? And taking a step back and reflecting on a lot of the norms that we were working with a few years ago were rooted in decade-old ways of working. So why can't we really think about a a way to redesign now to make work more, more inclusive for all types of people rather than a select few? When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. 
Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's amazing. And Future Forum is doing research. And it's revealing all sorts of stuff about how work and employee expectations are changing. What's some of the stuff that you can share today for listeners? Yeah. So what we're seeing is that employees want flexibility in when and where they work. So 76% want location flexibility and 93% want flexibility in terms of their schedule. And what we're seeing as well is that schedule flexibility has an even larger impact on the employee experience on their well-being. What we're also hearing a lot about in the news as well as personally is about the great resignation. And based on our research, 57% of employees are open to looking for a new opportunity in the next year. So what we're seeing is, yes, flexibility matters. It ranks second behind compensation when it comes to job satisfaction. And also, people are open to looking for new opportunities, largely based on what they're seeing happening within their organizations and what their leaders are saying. And part of our research as well identifies an employee um, executive disconnect. So what we're seeing is that of those working remotely, executives are nearly three times more likely to want their employees to want to return back into the office full-time. So that's three times. That's a huge disconnect right there. And that's where transparency comes into play. That's where policies that they implement and experimentation comes into play. But flexibility remains kind of one of the headlines for us as we've talked about research quarter over quarter. That's amazing. In the future forums, it will be ongoing research then every quarter to say like, hey, we're going to put a finger on the pulse of work culture And we're going to be able to report that back so people can learn. Yes. So it is research quarter over quarter. We basically show the differences, but we also introduce new concepts. It's also forums and dialogue for executives to convene. And so we we conduct this research, but we also are producing playbooks and other guides for leaders as a product of these discussions that we have with executives in partnership with BCG. So The working groups that we've had with executives coupled with our research has really changed the conversation around what work is going to look like and has given us an opportunity to poke some holes in the way that we were operating. It's amazing. So there's CEOs, CMOs, agency owners, you know, work team leaders listening to this right now. Sheila, one-on-one, you're intimately in their headphones right now, maybe on their Sonos device, you know, whatever form, maybe they're actually are driving somewhere and, and your voice is able to speak kindly to them, but give them some advice. What, what would you say? You come alongside them wherever they are to say like, hey, leader, here's some, here's some advice based on research. What would you mm-hmm. say? So a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting with a CEO and the word transparency came up. And that CEO bristled a little bit at the word transparency because they asked the question, why do my employees need to know everything that's going on in the organization? Transparency is not that. Transparency opens the opportunity for two-way communication. And it's really important for leaders to embrace transparency. 
as they are leading their employees and navigating through a lot of the unknowns the last couple of years have basically offered us. And with transparency is also the ability to say, I don't know, or I need your help, or please give feedback. It's, it's offering that vulnerability. And what we're seeing from the research as well is that's what employees want, is that vulnerability from their leaders. So it's okay to be transparent and open about where you are in your journey. And it's okay to also lead with vulnerability. And that's what your employees want today. That's incredible. What can we expect and kind of look for from new research coming out? What's something that we can kind of look forward to to be like, I mean, I want to keep learning. I want to grow and I feel bad as a leader because I haven't been keeping up on this research, but where can they go to learn more about it? Where can they go to educate themselves? Sure. So futureforum.com is our website. You can also follow us on Twitter at futureforum and also follow us on LinkedIn. So we offer all three of those platforms. We produce new content on a regular basis, including playbooks and new research, which will likely come out at the end of January, early February of next year. There's no Slack app yet that they can add to like their Slack bot. That's like, I will, we're planning for next year right now. Let me see if I can add that to the list. <laughs> and, and you could integrate it with the Giphy app, which I think I want to guess is the most popular app within the Slack app usage. It's, it's up there. I wonder. It's up there. <laughs> it's up there. Okay. That's, that's amazing. So do you still use Slack today? Like, do you, how, like, are you using it within the work you do now? Oh yeah. That's the way that I, I get work done. I'm, I'm not very good at with email sometimes, yeah. but Slack is the primary way I work. And I also manage my house. Wow. Okay. So those that, you know, there's, there's going to be people that have not used Slack yet that are listening to the show. Describe how you can use it. I, I love that personal and or professional uses and, and just the, the joy and the wonder that is Slack. So Slack is a channel-based messaging product, and it is a great way to bring your team together to collaborate on critical projects. So there's something called channels where people can convene and discuss specific topics, whether that's professional or social. So as an example, my team, we have a Future Forum team channel where we come together and talk about specific projects that we're working on. Every Monday... We have a prompt from a bot that says, talk about the top three things that you're working on this week. And in the thread, add... add What's the bot called? What is that bot? I want that bot. What is that? You can do that directly in Slack. I can send you a how-to after this conversation. Okay, I'm going to do that. We have it right now. And I noticed that the minute we put up something like a fun question or like we did a little competition this last week where it was like, how much do you think our client got in e-commerce this last Black Friday? And it went wild. The Slack just blew up because it was like fun and interesting. Yes. And that's a really great example of driving that connection, that sense of belonging, even if you have employees that are located in different places. And so we have that top three so that we don't have to get together for a meeting at 9 a.m. on Monday morning. You put in your top three at some point on Monday morning, you talk about what you're prioritizing, and you also add a little fun picture from your weekend. It's part personal, part professional, and it adds a lot of fun as you start your week. And Slack's been really critical as we think about flexibility in terms of schedule, because what we're seeing is that so many people are just booked back to back between nine and five or nine to six. And we, um, as the Future Forum team, adopted a model from Dropbox that basically says, if you need to discuss, debate, or decide something, and I'm gonna add a fourth D there, develop your employee, you should meet. Everything else, whether it's a status check or just a asynchronous review, can be done in Slack. 
And that is how we operate as a team. And we're able to work in a more flexible manner rather than being stuck on meetings all day. That is incredible. I love the classic, you know, this could have been an email. It really, I guess someone's got to start that this could have been a Slack message. Yes. Yes, there's, right. we, we do do that. We do that in a fun way every once in a while. <laughs> okay, this could have been a Slack message. I'm trying to get a term going, like like this should have been a Slack message. I'm trying to get selfie going where you take a selfie on Zoom. Okay. But it hasn't really picked up yet. When I ask people, they're like, they haven't, they've never heard of it. So, I'm, you know, we'll see. Give it we'll time. It it'll, go, it'll go viral soon. Thanks, Sheila. <laughs> Sheila, anything else that people need to know about Future Forum and, and the work that you're doing there? I think the last piece that I want to make sure that is reiterated is flexible work matters, transparency matters, but also if you are a leader, skilling your managers to operate in a distributed environment also matters. Traditional management training has been about gatekeeping. It's been about status checks. And there's been a clear shift over the last few years to reskill your managers to become more empathetic coaches. And so making those investments, also investing in coaching for your managers is really important, especially as we talk about talent and the great resignation. You got to make sure that your managers know how to operate in this new environment. It's incredible. And, and if I could, if we go back in time to your time at Stanford and you went to go work both with American political ecosystems and the British political ecosystems to see how people could better belong, was there anything constructive you learned that is applicable today or that you are seeing Yes. Oh my gosh. It's it's funny because I um I majored in political science and studies in race and ethnicity. And so much of the work that I did when I was in college was around understanding your audience. And it was both qualitative and quantitative. Like how do you conduct surveys? How do you better understand what people want? And I brought a lot of that even when I was an intern in the political world of how do I bring the quant and the qual together to better understand and communicate to people. And that has been instrumental for me throughout my career, even today. And I think oftentimes parents want their kids to major in something more practical or something more hands-on or like accounting. And those are all great majors. But I think that the critical thinking, the writing skills, the quantitative work that I did during that time has been really important for me throughout my career. And I think one more thing is just, I found a passion back then. And that passion has never gone anywhere. And being able to channel that passion in my day-to-day work has been really a gift for me, especially over these last few years. It's awesome. And have you seen any change? Like, do you see that the government is more inclusive or, or, or helping people belong better since you kind of took the time to kind of research that and look into that? I have found that people are more open and comfortable yeah. talking about race, talking about okay. otherness, than at least in my experience 20 years ago. At that point, people would get a little uncomfortable yeah. by it. Whereas now I have found a little bit more, more appetite, more understanding, more willingness to address and talk about yeah. race, otherness, and, yeah. and experience. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. It's interesting, the timing today, the one year kind of post report about a judge did a report a year ago in Canada about the racism being found in the healthcare system for indigenous people. And so the judge then took a year and, and then did kind of a follow-up report that got published today to say, has it changed? Did we see anything since the report was published? And there was almost kind of call it glimmers of hope of some development, but it was like, these things are systemic mm-hmm. and built in and still need to change. But I like that someone is taking the time to publish and write this and bring it to top of people's minds. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a long way to go, but, but dialogue yeah. 
And uh, data is very important, especially uh, when talking about structural inequity. So Sheila, are you ready to do a rapid fire? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. All right. I'll try my best. (laughs) That's great. What was your first ever job? I worked on a campaign for my local congresswoman, Ellen Tauscher, and I stuffed envelopes, walked probably 10 to 20 miles, knocking on doors and trying to campaign for her. She ended up winning. And is she still in politics? She is no longer in politics, but this was a while ago. This was, I was not even legally able to vote at that point. I just really want to learn more about the political system. That's awesome. Night owl or early bird? Oh, definitely night owl. I've tried to become an early bird, but definitely night owl. Cat or dog person? Definitely dog. That is awesome. Dark or milk chocolate? Ooh, milk chocolate. Okay, nice. Favorite word right now? I have been using the word intentionality a lot more. I'm trying to slow down how I live and become more intentional. So that's probably the most used word in my vocabulary right now. Nice. What is the last charity you supported financially or with your time and why? I volunteer weekly at local school district, Oakland Unified School District. My kids also go there and also have donated money because I think that inequities start from the beginning and we see the biggest gaps in education. And it's really important that we support the public school systems. That's awesome. What is a movie that you just love? Oh boy. So I have two kids and I feel like all of my movies have been uh, taken over by (laughs) animated movies. We, uh, this is a hard one. I, I'm going to have to say Frozen 2. I really like Frozen yeah. 2. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. So I have two daughters, six and seven, and I've seen it. And, and every once in a while, I open their window and I go, ah, with hopes that someone walking by that is seeing the movie will respond, but no one has yet to do it. Let me know where you live. I'll, I'll come by and support you one day. <laughs> yeah, <that>. one day, <laughs> one day. So what is a, of course, it's the time of the year for Spotify of, of your, you know, what did you listen to all this last year? But right now, what's kind of a favorite song or album on repeat in your life? I've been listening to a lot of Lauren Hill and the Fugees because yes. they went on tour. Mm. They kicked off their tour a few months ago. So I've been kind of channeling a few decades ago and listening to a lot of Lauren Hill. Nice. Are you going as far as her MTV Live Unplugged oh, yes. album? Of course. Okay. That was good. Yeah. That was really good. Lots of memories in that one. I went and saw her live just around the time that the Olympics were here in Vancouver. But the problem was her band was so loud. You couldn't really hear her. And I was like, oh, so sex. I was like, I just wanted to hear her. Like I would I would go just to hear her yes. and a guitar. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. No, I, I still haven't seen her live. And I toyed with going to see her when she was in town, but couldn't make it work. But I heard great things. Yeah, it was, it was a great show. Otherwise, other than that. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing right now? I would probably be a tour guide or someone who uh, visited restaurants in new, in new places and wrote reviews. Yep. So yeah. uh, something around travel. That is awesome. You'll be that person from the Oceans movie who goes and like, they're the secret, secret experiencer. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> cool. What is your favorite children's book? When I was growing up, there weren't a lot of... Um, books with people of color in them. And there is a book called Ada Twist Scientist that I read to my kids a lot. And it's part of a bigger So good. But I love that one. I love how you can see the other characters from the other books in the background, like or in the classroom. It's so (laughs) cool. That's my favorite. Yeah. And there's there's, um, a new one, I'm totally blanking, where she runs for president. And you can see her throughout the books as well. Or she something about her being a president. 
That is cool. Because there's uh, the engineer. Rosie yeah, and there's engineer. Rosie. Yeah, it's awesome. And there's Iggy, Iggy Peck's architect too is another one. Yes, yes. That's a great one. That's really good. I love that. So big what is the most important thing you've ever changed your mind about? I would say as a manager early in my career, I thought that it was my job to make sure that mistakes didn't happen. And now I'm in a place where I encourage it. It's okay to make mistakes. And it's not a reflection of you as a manager, as a leader, if people make mistakes or if you make mistakes, um, that vulnerability matters. So I think throughout my career, I've changed my mind from feeling like I need to be buttoned up all the time and mistake-free to now being a lot more vulnerable and, uh, and open and engaging with my team about learning. Cool. What is a business book that you'd recommend? I am currently reading a book called Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu. And it's about the importance of asking for help and getting help, especially as a working parent. And what we're seeing so much is a lot of um, working mothers are leaving the workforce. They're not necessarily getting the support that they need. And so it talks a lot about having intentional conversations and understanding how you can both thrive in your career as well as at home as a caregiver. Yeah, very cool podcast that you'd recommend? Ooh, I love the Adam Graham podcast. I listen to that yes. quite regularly. Not a big podcast person, but I do listen to that one regularly. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, my daughter, how old are your kids now? Uh, they're now three and five. Three and five. Okay. Maybe you're five-year-old, but it's called Circle Round. Okay. It's this great, and it's just stories from all over the world. These incredible stories that I like, you know, you might've heard versions of it, but it's like these beautiful stories, but then told by like really cool actors. And, and actually, that we, we'd know, you'd recognize the voices, but it's beautiful, like little 10, 15 minute stories for like the bath time or dinner time. And yeah. they've been great. Yeah. Oh yeah, we, we definitely listen to those story podcasts a lot. So I'll check it out. Yeah, that's my favorite one right now. And there's a cool like flute. There's like a musician that plays during them all and it's so neat. Yeah. How about a newsletter or a website you recommend for like resources, inspiration for people? Yeah, so Charlie Warzel, he used to write for the New York Times. He has a uh, newsletter called Galaxy Brain. That's really good. And then his partner, Anne Helen Peterson, writes a newsletter called Culture Study, which I also recommend. And it talks a lot about work. It talks a lot about people, society, and always very thoughtfully written. And I always set aside the time to read and think about whatever they're publishing. Nice. Life hack that you'd be willing to share. I don't know if this is a life hack as much as a thing that's helped me (laughs) tremendously is make sure you prepare for things. Like life does not have to be stressful or a whirlwind. You don't have to be too busy for things if you prepare for them. And that could be your morning routine. That could be what you wear the next day. That could be dinner, whatever that may be. Take the time to intentionally prepare and it relieves a lot of potential stress and energy that could be spent elsewhere. Great. That's a a great one. That's like the ultimate life hack right there. (laughs) The hardest one too. (laughs) Yeah, totally. What do you feel are the skills required for this new economy that we're living in right now? Yeah, I think a big one is, uh, I mentioned vulnerability before. It's not necessarily knowing all the answers. It's active listening, making sure that you're listening to what the other person has to say and giving them the time, the space to get it all out. I think so much of uh, so much of business in the past was yes, knowing the answers or being the loudest voice in the room. And I found the most powerful people are the ones who listen the most and then take what they've learned and listened to do good things. Sheila, that's awesome. Thank you for 
sharing with us today. This was so inspiring, so helpful, so resourceful, very convicting, I'd say as well, like in a lot of ways, the stuff you're saying and, and, but actionable. I feel like there's stuff that I can take away and and put into action. And I'm excited to watch and hear and see what's coming down the pipe as far as trends. Cause I can't think of like, I've seen these like internal surveys and these surveys that you pay for to be like a great workplace culture things, nothing, nothing against them, but you know, they exist. But I feel like what you're doing is you're putting such an incredible finger on the pulse of the trends of the workplace and what people are saying. And I hope now that we're just good listeners and leaders become good listeners to what you're putting out. Yes. And we we always welcome feedback. If anyone's interested in talking more, please visit our website. We just released a new playbook today about transparency and how to lead with transparency in the infrastructure that you need to build as well as what your employees are expecting of you. So I encourage listeners to check it out and, and offer any feedback or questions if they have it. That's amazing. We'll put, make sure we put a link in the bio for sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Sheila. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us this week on Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and the Podfather.